I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your host, Chris Trevino, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime gerard martinez gerard you were a little worried in the debut episode that that'd be the only one that that they would pull the plug on this the execs but we're back episode two how you feeling i'm feeling good we'll we'll see i mean you know hey we, we got past the pilot so we inch ourselves into season one and we'll see how this thing evolves over time yeah i'm excited about it we had some good positive uh feedback from the fans and people that listen on social media especially the 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 peristyle members they they were big fans of this and i learned because obviously we were a little worried about time in the first one i believe we went about an hour 40 but and i mentioned that like sorry it went kind of long but i learned that they absolutely do not care about length when gerard martinez is talking they do not care they will let you talk for three hours and they don't care so that's something we have to consider, but I don't want to wear you out. You know, I don't want to overwork those, those, vo- that vocal box of yours. We got to give you a break sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Hey, I just want to give as much insight as possible. And if it means explaining something, getting into details about something, then so be it. I don't want to uh, censor ourselves for no reason, just because there's sort of a time constraint. I mean, I understand with Ryan, he always wants to keep it to an hour. He wants to keep it pithy. He wants it to be very sort of off the cuff. Um, but I'm just not like that naturally. I'm very much like, let's get into the substance of this stuff. The like minutia. Be, yeah, we want to give people some insight as to how the workings of things. And, you know, more and more, uh, it's not just about information, but it's also about the analysis. And analysis takes time to be able to explain to people. And you, my friend, are like the next Joe Rogan. A podcast. I mean, you're popping up on podcasts all over the place. You're doing the Peristyle podcast. Next, you're going to probably have you on the Pac-12 podcast of champions. I mean, you're everywhere. So Chris, he's branding himself as we speak right now. I don't know how I'm going to feel about being compared to Joe Rogan at this moment. I don't know how well that's going to age, but we'll see. We'll see. I appreciate the compliment, though. I see what you're saying. I'm getting my podcast name out there, but this is where my love is. My podcast, our podcast a recruiting podcast. Uh, so we're going to jump into it and you can listen to listen to us wherever you get your podcast. And if you got a recruiting question for us, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite or two-star recruits or, hey, Chris and Gerard, read this. That will get sent to us. 
we do got a question for the end of the show. So if you put something in, we're going to get to it on the next episode. So podcast at uscfootball.com. Send us questions. Um, this week, we're jumping in with the cold open. And if you didn't listen to the debut, the cold open is just the number one recruiting topic that's on our minds. The thing that we want to talk about and get into and have a discussion about. And that is the 7-on-7 seven seven pylon tournament that happened over the weekend. And a pretty big team that came all the way out from Florida. SFE South Florida Express. Just an absolutely loaded roster. I'm going to run through real quick. Five-star cornerback Cormani McLean. Uh, five-star cornerback Tony Mitchell. Four-star running back Mark Fletcher. Four-star receiver Hakeem Williams. Uh, five-star wide receiver Brandon Innes. Uh, Jeremiah Smith, a 2024 prospect. Four-star cornerback Damari Brown. Uh, Five-star USC QB commit Malachi Nelson. He was playing quarterback for this team, so it was a star-studded roster. And there was also some other big names there that weren't even part of this team. So, Gerard, you were there both days. I was only there Saturday morning, but this was a loaded team to cover, and we were frantically trying to talk to anyone we could. Yeah, it was a bit of a scramble. They were way, way overpowered uh, for that tournament, which was – Oddly enough, and maybe this wasn't the official title, but going into it, I understood it as being the Pylon Regional <laughs> Passing Tournament, and you had teams from New York, teams from uh, Las Vegas, which that's regional, but then you have South Florida Express coming all the way from Florida, having a roster with some guys that aren't even from Florida. So it was a very interesting sort of hodgepodge, and they totally stacked the deck in their favor. They actually didn't win the tournament. They ended up losing in the semifinals. Uh, but it's one of those things that seven on seven, I don't think anybody's really that invested in the wins and losses and things tend to happen when you have that many star players on the team and you have a quarterback that's never played with any of those receivers rotating in and Malachi Nelson Malachi met up with the South Florida Express when they're on campus unofficially visiting USC Friday. And so you know, Malachi, he's got his radar up. He's like, listen, I need to get in here. I need to talk to Brendan Enos. I need to talk to some of these receivers. I want to see what they're about, see if we can get some of these guys to come across the country and come play for USC in this 2023 class. And they pitched the idea, hey, man, we only traveled with one quarterback. We'd like another quarterback. You want to come out, throw the ball with this? And so he did, and uh, he kind of played the backup role to some extent. I think if he would have probably been the guy the whole tournament and they would have sort of went with a number one quarterback, number two quarterback in terms of the efficiency and how they were playing, they probably would have won that tournament. But like I said, I don't think that was that big a deal. I think it was more about the experience, the kids coming out, visiting USC. And then they actually visited UCLA uh, that Saturday as well because that Saturday they got pretty much all their games done in the morning and then they were able to go to UCLA in the afternoon and then they headed to Pier uh, that night. So they had a a, a long weekend. Uh, Those kids were tuckered out. Uh, every night after uh, they were out checking out Los Angeles, many of them for the first time. One interesting about that, did you like the Power Rangers outfits that some of the guys brought? That was very cool. That's actually very cool because they actually had, uh, early on in the tournament, they were doing sort of a Power Ranger um, a celebration after a touchdown, and it was like the Power Ranger, like their pose yeah. that you get. I thought that was cool. Like it was very choreographed and everything. So uh, it was interesting. I mean, obviously from a, a uniform standpoint, it was a little weird because they had like, they had their South Florida express jerseys over their power ranger uniform. So their pants were all different colors. You had pink and black and yellow and everything. 
Uh, but yeah, no, I thought that was that was pretty cool. I hadn't seen that before. I did post a picture on my Twitter if you want to see, but it was literally just a bodysuit. You know, it's like the Black Ranger, Red Ranger. Brandon Innes was the always popular White Ranger, but you could tell that it seemed like a bad decision early because most of them took it off. I believe it got too hot out there running around in the sun all day with that. Yeah, thing it on. was it was it was nice. It was nice last weekend, but it was getting into the eighties, and you know, you got that astroturf and what have you. So. Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, honestly, I couldn't imagine imagine those guys wearing that uh, in the summertime in South Florida. Yeah. <laughs> that would be you'd lose some weight. I mean, you definitely would lose some weight wearing those uh, little costumes and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was um, that was cool, though. I mean, it was interesting. It's great to see, you know, those kids out here. We don't get to see them very much. Sometimes there's an Adidas regional tournament or something and you'll see some of those teams fast Houston or, or uh, a South Florida Express or somebody, you know, hustlers come out and, and you get to see some of these kids nationally. And, um, you know, a lot of the times from a team standpoint, again, it's a hodgepodge of very talented players, but you get the teams that have just worked together a lot and they have guys that they just know who to depend on. They have the routes. They're a seven on 17, you know, and they come in and they're hard to beat. And that ended up being game changers this past weekend. Yeah, we didn't even mention with that Game Changers team had five-star USC wide receiver commit who recently got bumped up to number one receiver in our 24-7 sports rankings, Zachariah Branch, who the games I saw, he didn't really do much on Saturday. They were using him sort of as a decoy at times, or they were just giving him a rest because they were just going through pool play. But as I tweeted out, that guy moving at 75% speed is just faster than everyone else out there. I only got one real clip of him, had a really nice one-handed touchdown up the middle, just made it look too easy. And they also had uh, his uh, Los, Al, uh, Los Alamitos, sorry, he's not Bishop Gorman. That team was mostly Bishop Gorman, but Los Alamitos wide receiver slash athlete slash cornerback DeAndre Moore was also on that team. And you were kind of tracking him uh, with the footage as well. Yeah, he's originally, or should say originally, he's originally from Los Angeles, but he played at Desert Pines High School, so he knows That's a lot right. of those nevada kids and so that was sort of the connection there with them and uh yeah zach branch had this beautiful finger roll sort of catch into the end zone that you caught and then our intern Jarrett uh perez did some iso film on him sunday and he played a lot more sunday had a really great play where he caught a short pass into the flat and he was able to split two defenders and actually get you know a 30 yard touchdown of it untouched just because of the speed and the suddenness uh, he was definitely one of those guys that uh, one of the most explosive players on the field, and they used him all over the field. It was kind of interesting to see how dynamic he can be moving all over, played even some running back. You were allowed to run the ball a couple times um, a series, and so you saw a little bit of that action, which is always interesting in seven-on-seven seven because it, it's really two-hand touch, and when you see the elusive guys that have that kind of speed, it's really difficult. Uh, you know, I remember Dominic Davis back at the Battle of the Beach many years ago, uh, who ended up playing cornerback for USC, but he was a running back out of Bishop Alamany, and he ran a 40-yard touchdown just going through probably, you know, the whole seven-on team that he was playing against. And you just see that speed, and it's like, wow, okay, it's tough to do. 40-yard field to go untouched, and you got seven guys out there on defense. Uh, you got to be fast to be able to do that. And that's sort of what Zach Branch did. So keep a lookout for that ISO film that we have. I shot DeAndre Moore, which this was my first time isolating, watching DeAndre Moore, and, you know, some controversy a little bit about him in terms of what position he should play in college. And this is sort of interesting because he is at Los Alamitos, and the guy across from him, Makai Lemon, there's also a little bit of controversy as to 
people's opinions as to where he should play in college. And there's a lot of people that feel like Mikai Lemon is a better cornerback than he is a wide receiver. But he wants to play wide receiver. He's been very upfront about that. Now, on the flip side, there's some talk that USC had been looking at DeAndre Moore more as maybe a defensive back. Maybe he should play safety in college. Well, I talked to some sources, and they said, no, he's going to play receiver. He's going to play receiver. I talked to him Saturday, and he says, I want to play both sides of the ball. I want to play cornerback, and I want to play receiver. Now, that raised some eyebrows, and there's some people who (laughs) don't think he should waste his time playing cornerback, that he is a true receiver. And I have to say, he was excellent at this tournament. I mean, he was probably the MVP for game changers outside their quarterback play, which is very good. I think he was the number one guy. He had like three touchdowns in one game. He was clutch. He was running deep routes left and right. Uh, Very, very good in this tournament. And um, a guy that you get to see him when you're isoing these kids, and especially when you're isolating receivers, the reason why I'm so big on that is watching them off the line of scrimmage, into their routes, into the catch, out of the catch. So you're getting the footwork, you're getting the balance, you're getting the explosiveness off their breaks. How sudden are they? What's their vision like when they're in a zone defense and they're able to get themselves out of the zone defense? You can't really work yourself open too much in seven on because there is a countdown, but it is one of those things where you really get to see the footwork and and the natural ability to just sort of work those routes. And he has that, you know, he's not just a straight athlete or, or somebody that's a little stiff, maybe as a receiver, he's a guy that's legitimately got some pure receiver ability to him. So the arguments that he should be focusing more on receiver and he is a true receiver and he's an explosive receiver. I see that there's legs to that. And it's interesting talking about his explosiveness. He was John back and forth. Um, they were getting ready to play one of their games on Sunday. And uh, Team Toa, who has Roderick Pleasant on it, uh, had been eliminated earlier in the day. And Roderick and I were just kind of sitting there and we're chilling and and he's eating some Pringles. And he's, you know, talking to Zach Branch about running track. And he's coming up this week running his first meet. And Zach's kind of on the fence a little bit. Sounds like maybe he's not going to run track this year. His dad's not training him to run track. And he's not a part of that Bishop of Gorman uh, track staff right now and so it was like oh really man I mean you're he's a junior Olympic type sprinter I mean he's a guy that could legitimately run 10 2 and fly. so yeah and DeAndre Moore's like wait 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 you know I, I, we think we should race I think I could be both of you and they're looking at each other like yeah man come on I get out of here and he's like I run 10 4 and, and DeAndre Moore is, is a sizable kid I mean he's a 190 195 yeah, pound he, he's, receiver he's not He's not as small as like a Zach or a Broderick. He's got some granted, thickness. Yeah, granted, uh, Zach is is pretty strong. I mm-hmm. mean, Zach is not a a a thin lightweight. He's 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 minuscule in terms of his frame, but he is a strongly built young man. So he's not really all that lighty. I mean, I'd say he's got probably be about one eighty, maybe even one eighty five, a, a small stature. Um, but nevertheless. He's saying he could run 10-4. I can run 10-4, man. You really don't think I'm that fast, huh? But I, I tell you, I get you. And they're looking at each other, and I, <laughs> I kind of broke into the conversation. I said, I said, Roger, what are you thinking about running this year again? What, what, how fast are you thinking? He's like, 10-1. <laughs> and I look over at DeAndre, and Zach's like, man, I'm trying to get 10-1 too. Like, I think I get 10-1. And, 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 you know, and DeAndre's like, I'm going to run 10-4. And I was like, you know, there, there's a little difference here. And, and I go, dude. You're, you don't have to run, you know, even 10-4. I mean, if you could run 10-4 at your size, 
that's next level stuff, man. I mean, you're not like a, a smaller kind of guy. And so uh, it's interesting. I mean, the, the speed there on the field, um, and then you have a guy like uh, DeAndre Moore that, again, kind of, um, you know, not a big part of the conversation right now with a lot of Trojan fans because he didn't just jump along with Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon when they committed to U- to USC. You know, when they came away from Oklahoma with Riley, you know, Moore wanted to sort of back away from that. He didn't want to be the package deal. He wanted to look around. And there was talk like, I mean, USC has some options at receiver at the same time. But having watched him this weekend, I have to say that the chance that he is a guy that could go either way and you bring him in with Makai Lemon, like I said, there's some talk like, you know, he should be playing one position versus the other. You're just getting really good players. I think my, my, my metaphor was this, you know, taking your hand and just diving into a bag of gems and just pulling out whatever you can in your hand. And you're going to miss some. There's someone going to slip through your fingers and it might be a diamond, but you're still going to have rubies and jades and, uh, you know, all kinds of really amazing jewels all in your hand. And it's like, hey, it's all good. You know, I mean, out of that group, you get them, you figure it out later, you know, where you're going to play them. And I think uh, the athleticism is certainly there. The explosiveness is certainly there. And it's uh, speed across the board that USC hasn't really had in years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you're looking at that receiver position, they're certainly – they've gotten smaller. And even the, the target list when you look at the receiver position, not a lot of six four six five guys. And they're going to have to find that guy. And, and maybe one of those guys from the South Florida team is there because we saw Hakeem Williams, who's a good 6'3", 200 pounds, maybe 210, uh, a naturally big athlete. There's, there's some other guys out there, some tight ends, guys like Deuce Robinson, who are, you know, 6'5", 225 pounds that might fill that role as well, but not, you know, those sort of natural big receivers. A lot of these guys, it's, it's about speed, and I guess that sort of goes along with the type of offense that you want to run when you want to spread the field. It's really more about those fast type receivers. I didn't think about this going into this, but are you able to sort of, because there was a lot of good wide receivers that were there over the weekend that you saw over the weekend. Are you able to kind of break down a power ranking of who you really liked out of this group? Because that's a stacked group. Like as we mentioned, like you had Hakeem Williams, you had Brandon Innes, you had Jeremiah Smith, who's the number one, number two rated uh, wide receiver in that 2024 group. Carnell Tate, who I know you said glowing things about uh, from that tournament. And then, you know, Branch, and then as you just dived into more, it's just a stacked group. Do you have sort of a uh, off-the-cuff power ranking of the guys you saw that weekend? A power ranking of the Power Rangers. Yes. Uh, I would say Carnell Tate was probably the number one overall uh, performer there. Uh, and when you're talking about the the prospect end in terms of talent and potential and then matching that with the actual production that he had in the tournament, I think Carnell Tate was the number one guy. Uh, I think you know DeAndre Moore was probably maybe number two. Um, there's some debate there. I don't think there's much debate with Carnell Tate. Unfortunately, not a guy that I think is going to look at USC, talking to some people around the South Florida team and some of the other guys that are on the team. It sounds like he kind of wants to play in the Midwest. He's originally from Chicago. He's playing down at IMG, but a guy that really kind of likes the cooler weather, kind of likes uh, the Midwest vibe more than the West Coast or the South. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But early on, we kind of heard USC really wasn't into it too much with him. Um, but you've got to say, you know, objectively, he was the best receiver there at that tournament. Um, I think, you know, for me, in terms of if it was like a draft overall, and you're kind of ignoring performance so much as putting more into potential and more into 
the frame and the physique and sort of what you bring to the table if you can coach it up. Hakeem Williams is probably the guy. I mean, like I said, legitimately 6'3", 6'4", 200-plus pounds, and just a lot of raw ability right there. Maybe not as natural as a pass catcher right now as Cardell Tate. Cardell Tate just made so many good plays, a lot of 50-50 balls. Uh, Nelson uh, actually came away and was, was sort of talking as he was walking away from a throw where he just threw basically a back shoulder fade up into the, to the corner of the end zone. And Cardell Tate just like one-handed it and spun around and caught it for the touchdown. And he walks away and goes, yeah, you can just – you can just throw the ball to the guys like this. You know, these, these guys are all those type of guys. And this was really, I think, one of the first opportunities that Malachi had throwing to those bigger type receivers. You know, like Los Al, he's got smaller guys. And I think, you know, more of the six-foot type guys he's used to throwing to, which is not necessarily bad for him because he's throwing to smaller windows and he's becoming very reliant on throwing to smaller receivers. So when you get a bigger receiver that's a six-four receiver and he's got a wingspan, all of a sudden, you're just like, man, I can kind of throw it in that direction. <laughs> he can make a play. I don't have to be right on the numbers. And so he was definitely feeling that. And I know he was uh, pushing all those guys to, to get up to USC, to take officials to USC. I was talking to Hakeem Williams, and he walked in and said, hey, fight on, man. You know it's fight on. Come on. I, you got to say fight on, fight on. So Hakeem was like, yeah, for sure, you know, you know. But um, with Hakeem, he told me, he really wasn't thinking about going too far from home, basically saying, you know, I'm looking to play football in the South. But that trip, he said, was sort of the exception to the rule. It, it changed his perception on things. He goes, this is this is basically what I'm looking for, you know, right here. Like, yeah. I, I, this is the, the weather's beautiful. The vibe is beautiful. It's like really just great to be out here. And, you know, he's really going to seriously look at USC. It's going to be hard to get him away from Florida, let alone the South. Um, but. You know, if USC has a good enough year, obviously the tradition at USC with big receivers has been tremendous, and he is different than those other receivers that they're recruiting. I mean, you're talking about DeAndre Moore, Zach Branch, Makai Lemon, um, you know, a host of other players that they'll they'll look at and they'll have chances at. None of those guys have that size, uh, Akeem Williams. He is definitely of that, um, not not necessarily like Mike Williams big. He's not that big, but he's he's definitely on the bigger side of uh of being a still very athletic receiver he's not just a big receiver that uh sort of like a mike trigg type he's a real receiver and just has good size and he has above as uh, average athleticism well i'll tell you he looks like mike williams when he put zachariah branch next to him or a guy like deandre moore next to him and like you said in that quote he said i'm different and we get that question all the time or have been over the last couple months is how many wide receivers is you is he gonna usc is gonna take Obviously, they're trending in the right direction with Brandon Innes, and we feel pretty good about you know possibly him ending up being that third five-star receiver in the class uh, with Lemon and Branch. But Hakeem has something they don't. That's that size, like you just mentioned. So you know if you you're gonna find room for a guy who's unique to the guys you already have, because you like you said USC does need some of that size. It's not a very tall roster across the board in the wide receiver position. No, it's exciting to even think about just like I said with Zach Branch and how he was kind of used on the seven-on team and the fact that he's like, again, he, he's not small. He's not a lightweight type kid. You could definitely use him out of the offensive backfield. I mean, you put him on a chair route or you put him out there on the flats and you got him one-on-one against a, a, a linebacker or even a safety, man, that's broken ankles all day long. And even with Brandon Enos, we really didn't talk about him. 
he would have been right there with probably DeAndre Moore in terms of just overall production. I mean, he was really good, really consistent. He's built a little more like an all-purpose back. He's a pretty stocky, solid-built kid uh, who you know, doesn't have a lot of length on him, but a guy that looks like you could hand the ball off to him. You could use him on zip motion. You could use him in different ways out of the opposite backfield. Uh, he gets compared a lot with Amon Ross St. Brown. I see that in terms of he's very polished. He's very technical in his routes, great hands, strong hands, makes clutch catches in traffic, which is all sort of what Amon Ross St. Brown could do. Uh, don't know what kind of you know, run blocker he is. Amon Ross St. Brown was tenacious as a run blocker. He had a real nasty streak to him. Uh, but Amon Ross St. Brown was a little leaner and certainly probably a little more trained up. Uh, we knew the bloodlines with him, with Equinemius um, and, and, and uh, Osiris and sort of that lineage that he had coming out of modern-day high school, even going into modern-day high school, he was already on the map, uh, whereas Brendan Enos is not sort of that way. So there's a little more um, mystery to him and how you could use him and what have you, uh, but certainly uh, across from Makai and Zach Branch, even though he's a smaller receiver, a shorter receiver in that you know 5'9", maybe 5'10 range, not the same receiver as those guys. And again, there's a lot of... Um, sort of talk like maybe Makai should be playing corner uh, but Zach Branch certainly even though he's short he is a guy that is strong and he is obviously very very fast and uh, I think um, it's going to be interesting just to see how USC uses those guys all over the field in the slot outside um, that's the difference between maybe a bigger receiver and those smaller receivers those smaller receivers you can sort of use like a shell game and sort of put them all over the place you know have them go in motion and it's just a pain in the butt it's, it's not something as a defensive coordinator you like you don't like having to chase guys around the field you know you you want to play man coverage and it just sucks playing man coverage when you got this fast dude running sideline to sideline in and out into space those guys are hard to keep track of doing an audible right now because i want to get your thoughts on this people like hearing your thoughts on this who's the fastest receiver you covered out of high school <sighs> i mean i played against rj sour he was very fast um you well, know, you're, you're taking it. You're taking it literal. I meant sort of in a recruiting sense, but you could do that too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of. There's probably some guys or some track guys that have that have come and gone. Deshaun. Um, yeah, Deshaun Jackson was good. Uh, he was fast. He wasn't. I can't remember what he actually did in track because uh, he played baseball a lot too. So he was like a multi-sport athlete. He was very explosive, very fast. He was very light. You know, he was a guy that was like five ten. And he was a buck sixty, maybe. You know, Zach Branch is not that dude. <laughs> Zach Branch has been in the weight room. You know, he's eating his, he's having his protein shakes. He's got a little swole to him, some some good sized arms. And actually, one guy, not to take it off track here, mm-hmm. um, because like I said, there's a bunch of receivers I could probably name. Uh, Kareem Kelly. Uh, that was kind of before my time actually covering you know USC football. But I was going to say with Zach Branch and talking about you know how trained he looks and how strong he looks as a smaller receiver and we saw his brother this weekend as well <laughs> oh yeah you want to talk a little bit about zion mount zion that's a that's a great great nickname i don't know i haven't heard that one but mount zion yeah he was out here supporting you know game changers and that bishop gorman team i mean you probably have a better uh idea of what but it because this is my sort of my first time seeing him in person but he looked significantly bigger it looked like he had grown a couple inches 
uh, based on, you know, photos and videos and stuff. And he was just like thickened out. It was, it's, he had like a layer of, it just didn't look like a true, a guy, an incoming true freshman. You know, it looked like a guy, like a redshirt sophomore, a guy who'd been in the weight room at a college program for a couple years, at least, at least a season. I mean, man, he was just borderline looked like a guy coming off an all American campaign or something. And, I, yeah. I went on Twitter and I posted a photo of him and people were going crazy like, oh, my God, Zion looks so big. Look, Zion looks so big. And I went and I said out there, like, I feel confident in saying Zion Branch is going to play as a freshman. Uh, he looks the part already. Obviously, he has to put that on the field. But, man, did he look good. And, man, did, you know, they look good together. You know, the big Zion and then the speedy little brother. What a combination that's going to USC. Yeah, I don't know if he's peeled, but he's yoked. <laughs> I mean, he looks like he's been doing a lot of power cleans. He's got traps. He, you know, looked significantly bigger. That was like, you know, the frame had filled out and then the frame actually got a little bigger as well. I mean, he just shoulder width, everything. You're like, man, like you dude, you kind of got that little outside linebacker look to you right now. Yeah. And again, that's one of those things when we talk about these hybrid defenses with nickelbacks, and whether you're going to have a linebacker nickel on the field or you're going to have a corner nickel on the field, uh, or you have a guy that's a safety that sort of does both with you. You know, you have a guy that has the ability athletically to be able to cover receivers, but is big enough to come up and near the line of scrimmage and give you run support. And so we'll see. We know Zion's fast. Zion's got good speed himself. Yeah. Uh, it's about hips, about awareness, um, you know, how he plays in space. But, yeah, he's a guy that originally you're looking at free safety, single high. Now you're like, oh, man, did we put him up near the line of scrimmage? I mean, you've already got Samiria in there. You've got, uh, you know, a few players like Anthony Beaver that you got in the previous classes. They had a great safety class um, that came in there for USC. And, uh, you know, Jalen Smith, they've got, you know, some guys at that safety position, not to mention the transfers which, you know, among those being Chris Thompson, a guy that a lot of people feel like should play linebacker in this system. I, I tell you, I mean, USC is going to get significantly faster near the line of scrimmage. They're moving towards that rapidly. Uh, and I think the last map kind of started that. Rajon Davis, they started that movement towards getting guys that could really cover and can move in space as opposed to the sort of Cameron Smith, uh, you know, um, uh, Pelaier, Yateote type guys that are a little more pluggers inside. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, because it's a it's not the two-gap defense that USC sort of tinkered with off and on, going back to Justin Wilcox, getting into the, the, the later defense under Tartolando with Vic Soto. Vic Soto sort of liked to do both. You know, Alex Grinch right out of the gates is like, this is going to be one-gap defense. Our defensive linemen are going to shoot these gaps. They're going to get upfield. And when you have that, and you have that sort of chaos that the defensive line is supposed to create there, your linebackers have to be able to catch some guys. You know, they're not going to be as active necessarily under this defense as they were with Todd Orlando's. Todd Orlando's defense, I always said it, you know, they blitzed the middle linebackers every play. And it wasn't really a blitz. It was just part of the standard defense for one of those linebackers to be part of the pass rush or part of the pressure that you were bringing at the line of scrimmage. This group is a little more going to be sideline to sideline, going to be a little more responsible for potentially taking on some blocks because you're going to have your defensive linemen shooting the gap and not necessarily worrying about those blockers. So, you know, getting smaller is great, but you got to be able to maneuver around those offensive linemen, and sometimes you can get too small. So we're going to see how that goes. I mean, we know that Alex Grinch's defense, small is sort of what they've done. You know, he did it at Washington State. That was one of his 
probably more successful defenses where they shift a whole bunch. They had, you know, 260-pound defensive tackles. And guys that basically just were very disruptive and hard to get your hands on, it's different. It's changed. It's sort of evolved because you go to Ohio State, now you can get bigger guys. And you go to Oklahoma, now you can get bigger guys. But, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's not a bad thing because at USC, you're not going to necessarily get, and we talk about it, the 6'5", 300-pound, you know, Alabama defensive tackle, you know, right out of the gates, out of high school, you plug him in there and you can play nose tackle by a sophomore year and he's going to be dominant. You're not going to find a lot of those guys. So, you know, it is good that you have a scheme that can use speed oversized because you're going to have more of that. But when you get to those games where you've got to play those teams that are going to run the ball, you know, that can't be a crutch for you. You know, you're going to be out, have to stand up at the line of scrimmage and be able to stop the run against teams that want to have bigger backs and bigger offensive lines. And we'll see how that goes. But with Zion, that is a guy that, you know, you look at him now and he suddenly gets into that sort of hybrid conversation just because he's clearly gotten a lot bigger, a lot stronger. Overall takeaway from that is buy stock in Zion branch. That's all we're going to say. Um, Very quickly, the last offensive player that kind of on our list, Mark Fletcher, now, I talked to Mark Fletcher, the four-star running back out of uh, American Heritage, Florida uh, teammate of Brandon Innes. Uh, just a big dude. I, I actually thought he was sort of a tight end before but when we were just kind of looking at them warming up and stuff. Uh, but did not do a whole lot on Saturday. Was like a designated ball snapper for the quarterback. Maybe he got one run. I don't know if, Gerard, you were there Sunday, obviously. I don't know if he got a lot more run, uh, playing time um on sunday he didn't he (laughs) He didn't he was basically doing the same thing it was a it was a great trip he didn't have to really do much um and uh he didn't really do much i mean hey we're talking about a guy that's i mean at least six two, two hundred thirty 230 pounds i mean i was to me looked like marquise fletcher like he was marquise (laughs) step but just like an inch and a half taller is basically what his build looked like to me yeah and USC, you know, obviously doesn't have a guy like that on their roster and would love Coach Kyle McDonough would love a big body dude, uh, you know, for for, you know, moving forward. And he came away super impressed by USC. He loved the trip. He he, he just by talking to him, I could tell how much he enjoyed it. He said he's going to come back. You know, I, I feel pretty good about them getting an official visit if they, you know, keep up that that communication, especially if, you know, they get uh, Brandon down, Brandon Innes down the line, you know, that's his teammate. I'm sure that that's going to lock up an official for them. Uh, but he came away really impressed. He likes how they would use him in, in the system. You know, he doesn't want to go to offense that pass, 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 but he can catch too. He noted that. So sort of the relationship with the coaches and sort of the offensive system that he's going to, he said, were kind of the two biggest factors. He has no problem going away uh, leaving Florida for college and sort of feels like Alabama, Penn State and Miami are kind of that lead trio uh, for him. Uh, but it definitely felt like just in talking to him that USC definitely moved up into that top group for them. For him. Yeah, you talked to uh, you talked to Kamani McLean as well. Number one cornerback in the nation rocking the USC sleeve. We saw a lot of that USC gear on the South Florida Express team gloves and what have you. Did you get the vibe that USC was going to be seriously in it, or do you think it's more of an Alabama type thing? Came out, visit, said nice things about USC, but not necessarily going to seriously consider USC. I mean, I don't want to count out 
Dante Williams when it comes to recruiting high-level cornerbacks because he's shown a knock to stay on them. We know Dante is going to stay on these guys. He's going to stay on a Tony Mitchell. He's going to stay on a Cormani McLean. He's going to keep in contact with those guys. And if USC can win some games, I like the chances of them at least being able to get them on campus for that critical official visit. You know, Cormani put out a top five, uh, did not include USC. USC actually offered him, uh, I feel like a few days after he put out that top five. One of the random ones in there was BYU. But he said that USC is pushing to get into that top five. So I think USC could maybe make the recut, but it's going to take some time. It's going to take some more effort from from Dante Williams, which you know he's going to give. But I definitely felt like, because I did ask him about Alabama, um, his face and his expression kind of changed when he brought up um, the Crimson Tide. And it definitely felt like those were the guys to beat. That was the team to beat. Really enjoyed that trip. Had a big smile on his face. So that's the vibe you got when talking to him about Alabama. So I feel like USC is, you know, if they keep the communication, win some games, they could be in it. But right now I feel like they're on the outside looking in for him. Yeah, he was rocking Alabama gear Sunday. So he okay. kind of went from the USC thing to Alabama. I think he had gloves and a towel. Um, so yeah, you kind of got the vibe, like, you know, that's, these guys are going to be tough to get away. I I also talked to Damari Brown, who got an offer, uh, from USC on the unofficial visit Friday and intrigued by USC. Uh, certainly that's a little bit of a tell to me that USC offered him when you've got McLean coming in, you've got Tony Mitchell coming in. Um, you know, they kind of sort of said, all right, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get some traction with those guys, but we want to sort of increase our options. And that's the thing that Dante Williams has done since he's gone to USC, which is, you know, very crucial to recruiting is giving yourself good options. And it seemed like the past staff, there were so many coaches there that just did not give themselves many options. They literally were like, Hey, you know, we're going to offer these two top guys. And then from there, it's going to, you know, be jumping off a cliff down to some three-star guy in Texas that we've never heard of. And with Dante Williams is not that it's Dante Williams is like, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to try to get things going with whoever in that top 10. And I'll offer 10 guys uh, at that position in that class and just try to see, you know, what, what we can get, what kind of traction we could get. Maybe there's an inside, there's an angle, there's something that goes on that, you know, I can work uh, to get this kid out here for a visit. And then, you know, maybe the mom likes LA, this, that, and the other. And I think that's really important. Uh, when you're recruiting at a high level is to be able just to kind of, you know, just get some guys on your board that are good players. And he's done that. So um, that was interesting. You know, Damari, I think is, is intrigued by USC. Um, As a cornerback, I do question whether he is going to play that position in college. He's a bit tight in the hips. He's a bigger kid. We had him listed. I think it's six foot, six, one, 180 pounds. He's probably closer to about 190, 195 right now at 6'2". He measured in at USC at 6'1", uh, 3'4". So he's, he's legit 6'2". He's a big boy and uh, a good-looking dude, but uh, felt maybe a little more of a safety, uh, again, type of guy that could maybe even grow into being a hybrid guy. So um, not necessarily in competition with McLean, uh, Tony Mitchell. Of course, Tony Mitchell, a lot of people saw him and how thick he was. Uh, who's, you know, listed at 6'2", 180, he's probably 6'1", probably closer to 200 pounds, 205 right now, a guy that rumor is, you know, Alabama's slow playing him a bit. And so he likes USC, likes Southern California, definitely a bit hesitant, definitely says, you know, he wants to take an official visit to USC, wants to come back out here, um, but certainly wasn't necessarily, you know, head over heels as things as 
it's probably Mark Fletcher or Hakeem Williams uh, that uh, you got this feeling like, you know, they were, their eyes were opened up a little bit to USC and, and maybe going away from home. Granted, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do that, but you definitely got the enthusiasm and the excitement. They were a little more emotional uh, talking about that visit to USC. And a bunch, you just put up the Tony Mitchell interview. We have a bunch of interviews coming this week. We're still backed up with a bunch of interviews that we got from last week and this backed week. Backed up so. a lot of video. Yeah, we got a lot of video. video. I got video from Under Armour still. <laughs> we got to get up. So you'll see all that coming soon. Uh, Gerard, do you want to add anything before we take a quick little break? Malachi Nelson looked great. Um, you know, again, just sort of uh, a ringer for, for South Florida Express. Came in, you know, showed uh, some great poise. He almost brought his team back. I actually thought he brought his team back uh, late in that semifinal and threw a touchdown pass to Brandon Enos. And I thought, okay, so are they up now? I think there was some confusion in that last game. Again, it's seven on seven. Nobody's got a scoreboard. It's kept by the official. And sometimes there's a lot of controversies to what this guy got two points for this and this guy got a touchdown. But uh, it was interesting. You know, I think Malachi – He's not out there, and that guy that sort of has an entourage and, and, and is is uh, sort of in your face with everything, um, he's a little different quarterback, and I like that about him. You know, he, he kind of comes and goes and shows up to places sometimes just by himself. You know, you figure he would have this whole, the whole low-style entourage with him, and Makai would follow him everywhere, and he'd have all these people with him, but he's just kind of hanging out and, and kind of doing his thing and, and – talking to these guys and just, uh, you know, he was, he was definitely uh, representing the USC flag a lot. Um, but um, just interesting to see him interact with those guys and they're, you know, culturally totally different coming from the South and uh, you know, just trying to kind of get to know them and try to work a little bit. And like I said, it was, it was neat seeing him throw to those bigger receivers. Cause you could see that he hadn't really done a whole lot of that. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. if he wants to go back now. He He's like, I, I, I kind of see why Drake London was so successful at USC and why those quarterbacks were successful throwing to them because uh, those guys, uh, they, they definitely increase your margin of error when you're throwing to that window. Absolutely. So with that, let's take a quick uh, break. I'll give you a, a little bit of a break and then we'll come back and we'll, we got a question and then we got some top lists to talk about. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gerard, how was your break? My break was fantastic. 
as usual. I sat here, I stared at my computer, looking at the peristyle, the abyss of comments and opinions. It was amazing. You were a little more hopeful after I asked you last week. This one was a little bit more a downer, but I hope I hope I hope you did have a, a good break, as as you say, and you're not just lying to me. Um, top list, Gerard. How do you feel about them? What are your thoughts on top lists? <laughs> um, you know, it depends on how many schools are listed in the top list. We're talking about favorite lists, right? Yeah, top schools, top schools edit those kind of deals. I'm I'm a bigger fan of final fives. Okay. Like, give me a final five, like a top sixteen, which is yeah, but I'm still open, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what college coaches call me next week. That's a little bit futile. It definitely seems like, hey, look at me sort of thing. Uh, I like finalists. I like finality. I like, hey, you know what? I'm here in my decision. This is where I am in the recruiting process. These are the schools that have shown me the most interest. These are schools that legitimately have things to offer that I'm interested in. Let's move on with the recruiting process and never look back. I love a top 16 list, which also adds, but my recruitment is still open. Those yeah, those are my favorite. Had quite a few of those. Yeah, but definitely. yes, USC was involved in a handful of high-end prospects and their top lists. I just thought this is a recruiting podcast. We should at least mention them. Uh, three-star Texas linebacker Samaj Burrell. He put USC in his top 11. Uh, four-star Texas defensive lineman Eno Etta. Um, he put USC in his top 12. Five-star composite edge rusher out of Missouri, Chandavian Bradley, put USC among his top 12. Uh, Four-star Alabama defensive lineman Hunter Osborne put USC among his top 10. And then the big one, five-star offensive tackle out of IMG Academy, Francis Mauioga, put USC among his top 13. I believe it was supposed to be a top 10, but looks like he uh, he couldn't cut down uh, enough schools, so just just said screw it let's make it a top 13 so usc involved with all of those guys um so yeah uh some good names on that list Jared. yeah lucky 13 for francis Maaga. I, I think for Maaga and bradley you're really looking at probably top threes for usc maybe even number one uh for Maaga right now and those are the names that stand out you know in terms of guys that are talking about favorite lists and favorite schools I think with Bradley, um, USC is up there. There's definitely going to be some competition for him. They got to get him out on his unofficial visit, and then they've got to kind of push on the official visit. Uh, but he has a good relationship with that former Oklahoma staff. That's really sort of where the connection was made. And, um, you know, he's going to be very excited, I'm sure, about his visit to USC and, you know, California and everything. Certainly with all of this we talk about, it's sort of that other shoe has to drop and that's the season. You know, we always talk about things and and the momentum uh, going into the season and sort of what's the strategy, how many commits does USC want to have going over the summer? uh, What do they want to get out of their unofficial visits? But we have to see how the team plays. um, You know, what's the trajectory of the football team coming away from four win season last year? You know, can they double that? Can they get to eight wins? Can they get to nine wins? And if you get in those double digits, you know, then you start to think about the rare air they might be able to get to 
with the recruiting class, you know, just how many uh, good players are able to get because those players are going to want to come to USC for the possibility of winning a national championship. Um, the development is obviously being reinforced on the field because you're seeing a team that won four games turn around and win a bunch of games. You know, that's going to be a big selling point for them. That's, that's really the good thing about how bad USC was last year is that you're able to contrast it uh, on the field. And that's what players want. A lot of these guys talk about, you know, comfortability, which is not even a word, but it's kind of become a new word uh, in the last probably decade. A lot of kids talk about comfortability, which is just basically the being of on campus and having a connection with the staff and feeling at ease with the players and just feeling like you're, you know, you fit in with that group of people. But development is the other thing that gets dropped a lot, and they want to be developed at those positions, and they want to go to the NFL. Almost every kid that you talk to that's at that you know, four-star, five-star level want to get to the NFL. They believe they're going to get to the NFL, even though it's 1% of the 1%. A lot of these guys won't. They still believe they're going to get to the NFL, and they feel like the only way that's going to happen is they get good player development. That was something that was obviously lacking with Clay Helton's staff. And so you know, Lincoln Riley has been able to put that forth in terms of the resume that he has, and some of those assistant coaches also have that resume. So they're going to be able to sell that a lot if they're able to turn the corner and show that progress on the field for USC. And, again, that bar has been lowered because you can turn around and say, look, these guys, these same players, even though there's been a bunch of transfers, <laughs> these same players, this same team only won four games last year. Now we've won seven games. And seven games is like, uh, okay, you know, USC fans are not really looking forward to a seven-game you know, winning season. But still, on the recruiting trail, how it seems when you're sitting down in home with a recruit, that still sounds pretty good. Like, we're able to win three more games than last year, you know, four more games. That's really so where you can say, man, we doubled our win total from last season. So that's what we bring to the table next season. We're going to get, you know, 12 wins because that's how it goes. You just multiply, right? Whatever. That's yeah. how you recruit. That's how you get in the guy's ears. That's how you give them that pathway to development. And so that will be big for them. All of this, it kind of sort of, you know, the, the, what are they, what's the old uh, saying? The, the chickens come to roost. That sort of happens in the season. You're all your promises and everything about what you're going to do, the optimism. It comes on the field and how you play and, and not just, you know, how you win, but also how you lose. Because even if you lose games, but you're losing them closely, I go back to that Pete Carroll team in, in 2001 that went 6-6. Six and six. They were very competitive in all those games. I mean, that was the thing. Like, that's the difference you saw from the Paul Hackett teams to Pete Carroll. That even though they didn't have a great season and they lost in their bowl game to Utah, that was an incredibly competitive team every way, every way up and down, every quarter. You just, you know, they lost some games, but you still go, gosh, man, they, they're close. You know, that's what you want to see from USC next year. Even in the games they lose, and they're, they're going to lose some games. This is a team that won four games last year. They're, they're going to lose some games. How competitive are they? How do they lose those games? Are they losing, you know, high-scoring games? Or are they low-scoring games where, you know, the defense is playing well, but, you know, they just had some turnovers or what have you. Things that are fixable, you know, going into that 2023 season. Yeah, and I believe you have mentioned this several times, and you've said this to me before, but assistant coaches recruiters can sell sort of losses to a player it's like we need you you're the next piece like you can get us over that hump that's kind of a a sales pitch when losses are there yeah and it's going to be one of those things that'll be interesting to see you know i can picture malachi nelson you know kind of um defending you know losses next season and talking about it and that's where you see how 
invested those players are. I, I remember back in the day talking to DeMarco Murray when he was a running back recruit coming out of Bishop Gorman, and USC was recruiting him. USC ended up recruiting him as a defensive back, actually. And, you know, Oklahoma had a bad year that year. They just they started off bad, and I can't remember what they ended up being, but they did not have a good season. And, you know, DeMarco Murray was just very defensive. <laughs> Every time we talked about Oklahoma, it's like, you know, how, how, how is your interest in Oklahoma? You know, they lost some games here early in the season. And it was like you just put it out there to see how it's received. And with him, it was like, boom. Yeah, you know, they're going to turn it around. And, you know, they had injuries and they had, it was very defensive. You could see, you know, he was kind of emotionally invested in Oklahoma. And that's when you kind of knew this guy is probably going to end up in Oklahoma regardless. And so you want to see that with, you know, the five-star commits and the guys, even if USC drops some games, you know, those kids that are going to kind of be on the defensive for USC, they're bought in. They're bought in already. Even though they're not on the team, they bought in. You don't have to worry about those guys. The guys, it's like, you know, don't want to talk <laughs> <laughs> the games that they lost, that's when you go, oh, okay. That's, uh, or oh, I didn't even watch the game. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, they haven't been on any unofficial visits to visit games. Those are the guys you have to worry about when they're committed. Come for the USC recruiting talk and stay for random Gerard Martinez recruiting tales, like interviewing DeMarco Murray. You'll get a bunch of those on this podcast. Uh, random as in DeMarco Murray was also one of those guys that came up in the Todd McNair case file because he complained to the NCAA via Bob Stoops that USC was recruiting him uh, late in the year when it was a dead period and they weren't allowed to recruit him, which was interesting that they put it on Todd McNair, but Todd McNair wasn't recruiting him at that point because, again, he wasn't being recruited at the end of the year as a running back recruit by USC. They looked him at him as a cornerback recruit. That came from the Rising Stars camp, and it was interesting because we didn't really agree with it, but – uh, I remember Pete's rationalization was just that he had narrow hips and uh, he just wasn't a guy that was going to be able to put on much weight. And they thought that cornerback would be his best position. So uh, uh, I, I guess a misevaluation there. I mean, he could end up being a very good cornerback, you know, hard to say, but he obviously went to the NFL and was a very good running back. So I would say that was a miss. I need like a little soundbite to put at the end of you just dishing out this USC history Random. recruiting knowledge. <laughs> I, I need a soundbite. If anyone has a suggestion for a soundbite, let me know, because I, I want to get more soundbites on this show. Um, Gerard, you ready to handle our question, our one question? Yeah. Uh, this comes from Esai Gomez. I think I said that right. From Bakersfield. Hey, guys, just wanted to get your thoughts on the top five high schools in California USC has to solidify as a pipeline school for recruiting. And what three states besides California are the most important for USC football? I feel like we well, could at the talk. Top of the list, it has to, at top of the list, we have to go with Bakerfield High School, the Drillers, baby. Yeah, Let's I think go. I think he was fishing for that answer, and I think we passed <laughs> Drillers. Go Drillers! <laughs> go Drillers! Um, top five high schools in California. You know, this changes because I mean, obviously, we would say at this time last year, Servite High School. Yeah, uh, we would say. Oh, we got, you know, you got to, got to recruit Servite, got to recruit Servite. Servite's lost some players now. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's two high schools that obviously stay at the top and stayed at the top for a long while now. And that's modern day and St. John Bosco. So have to be on the list. talking about talent. Yeah. Those, those, those schools have to be on the list. I think the newcomer is probably Los Alamitos. Um, they've got some young guys there as well that are good players uh, that I think are standing out. And, and certainly in the 2023 class, you've got to recruit there. Um, Lincoln High School down in San Diego has produced some very good players the last few years. I mean, they've always 
kind of been there. Helix has been there as well. It's a little back and forth as to who gets those inner city San Diego guys. And right now Lincoln seems to be uh, on the pipeline the most. And so um, that's a school that, you know, you want to go down and you definitely want to get your foot in the door with those kids. Um, Mom Beach Poly might be making a comeback here. Uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, a native Long Beach guy like you, um, you, you, you welcome the talent coming back to Long Beach Poly because it's just a short drive to go down there on Friday night. Yeah, I, I welcome any opportunity for Gerard to send me to Poly, go to Vet Stadium, which is like literally less than 10 minutes from my place. Can ride a bike but there. But wait a second. But what, I, I, we say that, but I think you still have yet to see Jason Robinson Jr. play in person. That, a guy that's that's right your beat. There, a commit. You're on the Jason Robinson beat. That's your guy. <laughs> I happened upon the Jason Robinson beat only because they were out here playing Upland. And uh, and so I was like, hey, that's a funny. Hey, get to watch Pauly just, you know, locally in the IE. And then I caught them again when they were playing Sarah. And uh, Jason's dad, who's a, a friend of the site, awesome guy, trains up Jason, uh, several players, a guy that's just like, you know, connected to so many different people. And so, you know, they're they're just awesome people. And, and like I said, friends of the site. And uh, so, I'm kind of, yeah, this is a weird thing where I've seen Lobby's Pauly more last year than you saw. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's how it works during a season. Like, this guy will have a good relationship with this guy. Even though, like like you said, I'm right up the street, Gerard ends up being the guy, or I end up be, being the guy for some other guy in the IE or something. So it, al- it always changes uh, season to season. And like you said, it's sort of an ebb and flow with these schools because at one point, you know, Sarah had to be on this list. And I don't think maybe Sarah's on the outside looking in on this list right now. Um, you know, they have Roderick there, but they haven't really had – you know, a big, big USC guy in the last few years before that. Um, but it's, it's all depends on who's got the connections with those, uh, with those, uh, you know, youth teams, who's got the guy that helps bring in the talent to their, to their school district and stuff like that. Polly had lost their guy for a while. Now it's coming back, like you said. So the talent seems, the, the talent tap seems to be turned on again uh, down on 1600 Atlantic Avenue. Yeah, because they're going to have Nico Ayamaliva back there. I know you wanted and to talk about him another, a little bit. He was a guy that was also at the uh, Pylon Tournament this past weekend. Now, their team lost in the first game Sunday, so they were eliminated. And that's why, you know, Roger Pleasant was able to kind of hang out. And we were watching a little bit of Zach Branch <laughs> and jawing about uh, 100 meter times. But, uh, yeah, Nico being at Long Beach Poly, he was originally at Long Beach Poly, left Poly, went to Warren. And uh, Downey had a nice little run there. They've got some good players at Warren and Downey High School, uh, but he's going to bounce back to Pauly. So you figure he's probably going to take some guys with him. There's probably some guys that are going to go on to play with him and his younger brother Madden. Madden actually played in the tournament, and his team got to the championship game. They were the younger division, and I don't remember if they won or not or they lost in that championship game, but he looked good. I was watching him a little bit uh, as I was watching the championship game. I was filming Zach. Um, and I was filming DeAndre and then kind of taking a peek over uh, at Madden and seeing how he's playing. And, um, you know, he was playing above um, his team, really. You know, he was throwing some nice passes that weren't necessarily being caught. Uh, but um, interesting because, you know, there was some rumors and some talk uh, associating him with uh, an $8 million NIL deal for Tennessee. And he was wearing Tennessee gear. Uh, he and his brother were rocking the Tennessee gear. Supposedly they had some players from Tennessee on that team, Toa team. Um, but uh, that's uh, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people want to see 
the old Long Beach Poly Los Al rivalry uh, back right uh, up the street. Greg Biggins, Greg Briggins, uh, you know, he's text, he's he's tweeting about it. That tells me that he's working his Fox uh, connection to be able to try to make that game happen. Um, I don't know if those teams have uh, schedule openings next season, but uh, you could see the wheels are turning there. I I would assume I will be on that sideline very much so. We don't like to do the big, big games because they're usually crazy on the sideline and everyone's there, but I would assume I'd have to be at that game. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, that's going to be on television too. So right. I mean, that's the other thing about going to big games is like, oh my God, we got to be at modern day. But yeah, so is everybody else. Like you're going to see, you go to YouTube and you'll find, you know, five different people with YouTube videos on it. You'll see it on, what is it, Bally Sports now? Bally like bought Fox over, so I don't know what the heck's going on there, but um, yeah, you, you, you get to see that. I mean, that's like sort of uh, the superficial, uh, filthy, casual high school football fan will pick up on the modern day Bosco game. Yeah. We like to go to like the little smaller games um, and, and watch these players, you know, really see the the individuals. I mean, it's great to see co- good games because it's good competition, but yeah, it becomes a little bit of a circus uh, when you get uh, the big teams together. And that will be an absolute circus. God, I hope they don't try to have that at Los Al high school. <laughs> There's not enough room. No, that the, would have to be a vets. Be, that's got to be a vets or that would have to be at some type of other location. Uh, you know, I don't know something that, I mean, vets would make the most sense, but you know, if they might feel like vets is the, the home stadium for Pauline, if it's a neutral game, then they might have to have it somewhere else, like Costa Mesa or something. But well, I believe nevertheless, that, Losal uses the Vets as their home as well. Do they still? Yeah, because I, they, they I, play on the Thursday nights. Okay, because I know they have played, uh, because we, I'm trying to remember, I just remember the last time I was trying to go down there, uh, there was some issues just because they only had so many knee passes because they were having it at Losal. That, that actual stadium. And they were playing on TV at that stadium. So um, they also play at home. It's just, it's not a very big stadium. It's, it's very, pretty, pretty much small right next to the baseball field. We're always down there for the uh, seven on tournament that they have down there. Um, and they've got multiple fields. You feel, you figure they could really expand that stadium because they have the room there. Mm-hmm. Um, they just haven't done it at this point. They've got a track there and they just, uh, they have the baseball fields right next to it. To circle back to the question, so it's modern day Bosco, Losal, Lincoln, and Polly, and then we'll put Bakersfield, the drillers at that six spot. That sound good? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Folsom's in there. Bayless mm-hmm. always has guys. They're, like I said, they're, it's sort of, you know, those teams, but then there's always a sort of a migration of guys. You know, Upland has been there. Ranch Cucamonga has been there out here for the IE. Corona Centennial always has guys. You could really argue Corona Centennial should be there instead of Pauly. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's various different schools that sort of come up and, you know, are there for a few years, and then maybe a coach leaves or something, or their connection to whatever youth park that they're getting their players from, it, it dies, and so those guys go to somewhere else. You know, there's always um, some movement there. Uh, I mean, I think Malachi Nelson at one point was supposed to go to St. John Bosco, and that just didn't happen, and he ended up at Los Al. Narbonne is just a pile of ashes at this point. Uh, yeah, Narbonne, uh, and then, that's tough. What was the um, school they all went to after that? Oh, St. Bernard's. St. Bernard's <laughs> was something for a little bit, and then that also. And then Alamany. You know, we forgot about Alamany. Yeah, Bishop Alamany. They kind of ended up migrating to Alamany. So, I mean, yeah, it's literally like a traveling circus. 
it's like a carnival <laughs> when you get a group of players that all want to play together and for whatever reason they end up at one school and then that connection dies and then boom they end up uh, at another school and then the three states besides california i'm just gonna throw out three right now you can shoot it down if you want washington arizona florida yeah yeah i mean um i think arizona has to be in there i know a lot of people sort of take arizona for granted as like an extension of the inland empire it's not yeah and arizona they have their down years but i think there's enough consistent good players especially like high-end guys like Bijan robinson that could come out of there uh robinson this year yeah, there's some there's some some good talent that comes out of there, and a lot of those guys are from California, they're from Texas. I would definitely say Arizona, and, and yeah, I, I mean, it really depends on the makeup of your staff, whether it's Florida or Texas or New Jersey. You know, USC has always been successful cherry picking, and it's usually because there's a coach on the staff that has a good connection there. They went in to Florida and they recruited almost exclusively Tampa because of Lane Kiffin and Monty Kiffin. There was a connection there. They were really successful in New Jersey because of Todd McNair. He was from Camden. He recruited a lot of those guys. He got his foot in the door. That's, again, why we talk about why it's better to recruit by territory than just to have your position coaches go and start looking up guys that are the top you know, running backs or the top offensive linemen, and it's all about just trying to make that connection from a position coach standpoint. That's going to have to happen eventually. You're going to have – to have your position coach have a good relationship with that player but it's better to create a champion on your own team have a guy that has a connection to that area and be able to give credibility to that position coach have a guy that's on the staff that can cheer and talk that guy up and say yeah you know what we got this great offensive line coach from texas a&m one of the best offensive line coaches in the country they had a great year at texas a&m he got a bunch of good players there he's coached a bunch of great players he was an offensive coordinator. They had that prolific offense in Missouri. I want to introduce you to Josh Henson. And that's what you do. That's how you transition it. That's how the good schools do it. This stuff where you're like, well, he's got to already know the position coach. So, you know, we'll just have the position coach reach out anyways. He doesn't know that area. He's basically recruiting by looking at 24-7 sports database. He's looking at auto film and highlights, <laughs> trying to piece together who are the top players in that particular region so he goes in sort of blind and you know you're trying to meet people and you're trying to create some connections why do that why even put your coaches through that have your guy that's already connections in those areas and have him be able to break the ice and then introduce him to uh those 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 position coaches and that can even happen sometimes with the support staff you know some of those guys might have connections and they kind of get your foot in the door and then they're able to kind of transition and give you over to that position coach, you know, a couple months, three months into the process, whatever it is, whenever you feel it's right. That's probably more of the strategy, in my opinion, of kind of when you transition that relationship over. I would think you want to do it sooner rather than later, but you definitely want to build uh, some trust and some some reasoning as to why, you know, that kid wants to feel good about USC. Again, we're getting to that comfortability word. I mean, I go back to Leona uh, Leifau, great example of a guy that talked a lot about USC. He's getting to know Brian Odom. Brian Odom doesn't know nothing about Hawaii. <laughs> you kidding me? You think he really has a lot of, you know, a, a familiarity with the culture or, or, you know, Kahuku or, or, or North Shore or any of that kind of stuff. No. And he doesn't really even know, uh, you know, anything about Southern California. He is 
an Oklahoma guy. So you have to transition a guy that has some some reps, some credibility, some familiarity. And who is that? That's Sean Nua. And that's who uh, Leona talked about a lot. He talked about Sean Nua and having trust there and the Polynesian connection and the Polynesian players. And Sean Nua can speak on that with credibility. And then you give it over to, hey, you know what? we got this great young linebacker coach. And he's coached up this guy. And he coached up that guy. And he's awesome dude. Hey, I want to introduce you to him. Get him on the phone. And you have those, you know, those, those teleconferences where you've got all the coaches on the phone and they're talking to each other and they're on it and they're, and they're, and they've got the vibe going and there's, you know, great you know, some jokes and everything. And it eases everybody into that situation and that recruit. And he feels like he's a part of something that, Hey man, I can kind of trust this guy because, you know, he's been, you know, coach Nua stood on the table for him and, 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 and you know, gave him over uh, to me so we can have that relationship. And so I think that's vital and, and that's big. And so when it comes to that other state, I think it's, you know, California, it's Arizona, um, you know, if we're saying three besides California, I would say it's tough to ignore Texas. Um, very I tough, very wanna, tough. Yeah, I think you want to get in there in the Houston area. I've always felt like the Houston area was a little more accessible for USC, even though they've, they've kind of not really gone into Houston a whole lot. I mean, they went into East Texas under Clay Helton, which was the weirdest thing in the world because East Texas is like the most rural part of Texas at this point. You've got, I mean, you've got Mule Shoe, uh, which is the town that Lincoln Riley's from, which is oil fields out there. Like I think it's near Odessa or Lubbock or something, which is totally pretty isolated. But you've got East Texas, which I think culturally is even different um and isolated on top of it so that was just the weirdest thing like of all places to go to going to Carthage and going to Tyler and going to these places out there near Shreveport um that's definitely way more deep south in terms of the culture and how they think and how they are um whereas you know like I said Odessa and Midland is tends to be just oil fields but I, I wouldn't I mean it, it's a little more Texas you know if, if you will so kind of both ends of the spectrum I would be more uh, going into the suburbs of Houston. You know, I think Katy was a school USD was kind of trying to get some traction on that really came uh, more because of Craig Niver. And he had some connection there um, to, to, to Katie and to some of those other schools. He coached in that area. That's a really good area to get into. Um, I agree with you though. I mean, Florida is again, I think Florida kids tend to be a little more open on leaving, especially South Florida kids. You know, when you're in like, Alabama, Florida, which is, you know, like Pensacola and Tallahassee and even Gainesville, you get some rural areas up there. Those kids, you know, they get off the plane and they're like, holy cow, where the heck am I? Like these cars and these people. And it's, yeah. it's just a little bit of a culture shock for them. It isn't like that with, you know, Orlando or specifically South Florida. I think Tampa and, and then that sort of Miami area, you could definitely uh, go in there and have some success. Um, I think you can have success in New Jersey as well, but again, you've got to have some connections there. You can't just go in there blindly and think um, you're going to be great. I mean, they did get Jaden gold last year. Um, you know, Dante went in there and, and had him committed and uh, you know, they made some ends there at Bergen Catholic, which is the old uh, Brian Cushing school. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, New, I'd like to get to New Jersey. I mean, if I'm USC, I think those kids, that's an easier transition for them, even though it's farther away than Texas. I think in terms of, you know, who you're going to battle, who you're going after, you're fighting off Michigan, you're fighting off Ohio State. Occasionally you're going to fight off some schools from the South that want to get in there after a, a top guy. Uh, but culturally, in terms of the pace of life and everything, I would say maybe Arizona, Florida, 
New Jersey, or if, you know, you're this staff, you probably have more connections to Texas. Maybe it's, um, you know, Arizona, Texas, and, and, and New Jersey, or Texas and Florida. Again, it's the makeup of your staff. So the jurors over UW, over Washington? The what over UW? The jurors, the Jersey, the Jersey Shore. Oh, the Jersey. <laughs> I've never heard that reference to people from New Jersey. The Jersey. You could have said the Sopranos and I would the have caught Jers, that The Jersey, the Garden. The Jersey. The, the Bruce Springsteen. That's Jersey, right? Yeah. The, I mean, Jersey kids love USC. I, I remember talking to Brian Doan about it. And I mean, I've talked to kids from Jersey going way back. And, and yeah, they they dig. I mean, they dig Los Angeles. You know, it's like uh, they're used to the big city. They're used to the fast pace, but, you know, get away from the cold and be able to play in in Hollywood. It works for them. And, um, you know, you can get some very, very good players at New Jersey. I mean, when we were doing the breakdowns of coaching candidates, we were going through the coaching search and I did James Franklin. And with these recruiting kind of profiles we did for each coaching candidate outside of Lincoln Riley, because he wasn't a part of it because we thought no way in hell going to USC um, James Franklin, uh, he, two things that really stood out to me, uh, and one being his evaluations of guys locally, um, the ratio of players offered from Pennsylvania and the guys that he had coached that gone to the NFL was extremely high. New Jersey was the other state where the guys that they offered, they didn't offer a lot of guys, but the guys that they offered turned out to be very good players for them. They did a very, very good job of evaluating New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I believe Maryland was there too. I, I can't remember if Franklin is originally a Maryland guy or he's a New Jersey guy. He uh, um, but he coached at Maryland. He was the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator. Um, at is Maryland. he originally from New Jersey? I, I think he's from Pennsylvania. I believe he's from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. So that would make sense. It, something about it made sense. And, it, and again, it reinforced the whole recruit by territory thing because it, it clearly they know their stuff. When they, I would say to any coaching staff in the country, if you're going to go offer a guy from Pennsylvania, you better damn make sure that he has an offer from Penn State. Because if he doesn't have an offer from Penn State, you're probably going to look like dummies. And that's not to say that every guy out of Pennsylvania that's gone to the NFL had an offer from Penn State, but they clearly know what they're talking about and what they're looking at. They've got good information on those guys. Again, they don't offer a lot of guys locally. Like I was shocked at the amount of offers that they have out. They've got like a hundred offers out to just Florida kids, but they're not a bunch of Florida kids going to Penn state that are going to NFL. The guys that are going to the NFL from Penn state are from New Jersey and they're from Pennsylvania. So that, that stood out to me. My argument for throwing Washington out there is that it just seems to have become like a hotbed of top talent. Obviously, you have JT Tuli Mao. I cannot pronounce the last last name, but JT a couple cycles ago. Obviously, you have Josh Connerly. Wow. There you go. You have Josh Connerly, the five star offensive tackle this year. Jaden Wayne, the five star composite defensive lineman uh, for 2023. Um, Isedra. Alufa, I think that's how you say the last name. I probably butchered that. The five-star interior offensive lineman who's in the 2024 class. Just seems like every year there's a top guy out of the Washington area. And obviously FSP has just got a lock on all that top talent out of there. Jason Brown, 2024 class. A little like Malik Brown kind of player. Top 25 player in the nation already in that 24 class. So just seems like Washington is just having a resurgence of talent. USC has not traditionally done super well 
in Washington until they were able to get Julian Simon out of there. So I thought Washington, you know, be a nice little uh, area to carve out some uh, a little pipeline there. Yeah, that's a fair argument. I mean, that's definitely uh, from that instead of going across the country and trying to get, you know, Jersey kids, um, you could definitely make that, uh, that argument. Although I, I mean, from a ratio standpoint, in terms of guys over the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years that have been impact players at USC, they probably have more impact players from Jersey, um, than they have Washington, which is odd. I mean, you got Taylor Mays and, uh, it's kind of the only guy that comes to mind as being like a really true contributor to USC at this point. Um, where you had Brian Cushing and you had to, I mean, success wise too. I mean, they even have gotten some guys like Antoine Perez, who was a guy that was a high four star that came out and he ended up transferring, but it's like to hey, Maryland, you know, to Maryland. I remember he, being yeah. so excited when Maryland, we got a five star USC transfer. It was like the biggest yeah. thing ever. He was, he was a four star, but, uh, we'll say he's a five star for you. And, uh, <laughs> And, 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 you know, and say, you know, he was a guy that maybe he worked out at USC uh, if, you know, they didn't stack the deck with all these crazy, I mean, that was a crazy class. And you had guys like, you know, Taylor Mays and you had Alan Bradford in that class. And it was a ridiculous defensive class. But yeah, in terms of ratio wise, USC's actually had some, some pretty decent traction with kids from New Jersey, which again, with, with Washington, it seems to be a little more hit and miss. I don't know if that's because just, distance and you've got Oregon between USC and, and Washington and in Washington when they are traditionally strong you know they're going to recruit well in Washington so we'll see what happens with their new coaching staff we're going to see what happens with Oregon's new coaching staff and if there's you know going to be more success for USC seems like Kyle McDonald is kind of the guy that is is uh, leading the charge to some extent up there um, they also have a guy that's finally like a native Northern California, um, recruiter in Zach Hansen, uh, which is interesting. I, I didn't know that until we talked to those guys in person, um, in that little media get together, he's a tight ends coach. He was often line coach at Tulsa. And I just kind of assumed that he was a guy from out that way, but he's from Northern California. So he was recruiting. He was at Folsom. He was at, I think he was at Dale South. He's at a bunch of those schools up there in Northern California. Weird fact is Clay Helton was actually the Bay Area recruiter under Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin um, before Sark decided to switch it over to position coaching and position recruiting. And so he was the guy, he was the head coach. It wasn't Clay Helton that made that decision. Clay Helton just decided to keep it going, but it was uh, Steve Sarkeesian that decided to have his guys by position uh, go into, you know, wherever it's like, Hey, you know what? You're the D line coach never been to Ohio, doesn't matter. You're, you're recruiting a defensive lineman and you like him and he's from Ohio. Guess what? You're going to Ohio type of thing. That was Sark that did that. Um, but before that, uh, it was Clay Helton who actually recruited the Bay Area, which is odd because, I mean, USC success recruiting the Bay Area. I mean, you want to talk about Washington not being all that successful in terms of, you know, offer ratio to commitment. And horrible at, at, at recruiting the Bay Area. I mean, I think for the most part, they've ignored it largely. You know, they've recruited a few guys from there. Um, but they just haven't been very good. So we'll see if that changes. Zach Hansen being up there, uh, being a local guy, maybe he's able to get a little more traction. We know that the Oklahoma staff for years out-recruited USC in Central California. Um, granted, I will say this, not necessarily a bunch of guys that hurt USC. Not a lot, a lot of guys that went on from some of those schools like Edison, some of those schools like Clovis West, 
that went to Oklahoma ended up being great players and All-Americans, a lot of those guys turned out to be busts. Um, but some of them turned out to be pretty decent. And uh, it was just interesting that USC always seemed to be a little bit on the outside looking in for those players. So that's going to be another aspect of this in the recruiting class to see how much does USC sort of expand a bit. Some of those interior offensive linemen, some of the big bodies that they're looking for and they're trying to cultivate offensive line options, you're seeing those guys pop up in Sacramento and uh, quite a few of those guys being Polynesian to sit. So, again, that's probably Sean Nua a little bit, you know, working a little bit, the poly pipeline, and then Zach Hanson maybe being uh, able to come in that has a, a sort of a, a reference for the local players and can build some connections with those high school coaches. Because, again, that's part of the evaluation process is being able to have people in the area you trust that see these kids because they're going to have their own opinions. And, you know, you're not going to get that from just watching Huddle or just pulling up stories on 24-7 sports. I'm being my own producer, and I just need to combat you that Perez was a five-star. Per, per the 24-7 sports composite, he was the number 23 overall player, the number one cornerback. And just going through this top 50. Cor- is listed as a quarterback. It's listed as a quarterback. This is this is this is the problem. Twenty four seven sports didn't exist back then. So look, I'm just going off what it's listed right now. Sports, I see the weakness in your argument. The fact is, Rivals.com, which we were a part of at that point, had him as a four star, which was accurate because he obviously didn't turn out to be a four star at Maryland. He was a safety. He was. I tell you what, he had some of the most impressive film for a guy that was only about six foot, hundred eighty five pounds. He was an absolutely heat-seeking missile. A lot of people compared him to uh, Matt Grudigood uh, in terms of his physicality as a safety out of high school. He had some really, really good tape. Wasn't the most athletic guy and certainly wasn't the fastest. And again, you know, when you bring in a guy like Taylor Mays, who is one of the biggest physical freaks that you're ever going to see. I mean, a, little, a legitimate, like, 4-3 guy at 230 pounds and, like, 6-4. It was ridiculous. I remember... I remember TJ McDonald came down for an unofficial visit and we were standing on the sidelines back in the day when we could actually attend practices and kind of walk around and see things. Um, TJ McDonald is a pretty big guy, you know, a legitimate like six trees, probably like under 95, 200 pounds out of high school. He's standing there and he goes, number is number two a safety? Dr. Safety? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and, and I mean, that was everybody's thought that came and saw Taylor made. He was absolutely gigantic and he was fast. And so, you know, you can compare anybody next to him. It's like, that's pretty tough. So, you know, I, I'll give, I'll give him credit, but he was not a cornerback. Now, did he play corner at Maryland? Did he, did he change his position? I believe he was a safety at Maryland. If I recall, yeah, I don't know where cornerback comes from. I don't know anybody that ranked him as a cornerback. He was, he was a safety coming out of Camden high school. Uh, like I said, Todd McNair came from Camden high school. Camden high school is rough, man. Camden high school is no joke. You don't walk into Camden high school, like, you know, thinking you're at, uh, you know, some, uh, Ritz Carlton. I mean, that's, yeah, you, you, you gotta, uh, you gotta get your P's and Q's set up straight. And, um, that was why USC was able to make that move because, you know, they had that connection and, he was a Jersey kid and he wanted to play in the city and uh, he came out to Southern California, but the writing was kind of on the wall. Wish he would have had a little more patience because if I recall, he jumped out of USC, transferred like right after fall camp. I, I don't think he was around uh, all that long. And um, I don't know what he did at Maryland. I, I, I don't remember him being you know super successful at Maryland. Way to poo-poo on my Terps. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I'm just... I'm just, I mean, hey, you could have. He was a starter. And made he up was some a 24-7 sports stats. Okay. He was a starter. Oh, yeah, you, you know, he was, he was, 
you weren't joking about this you weren't joking about this class per this thing six five star six five stars in this class yeah, because that was, I think, uh, Stephon Johnson, C.J. Gable. They had the yeah, big I wanted to, slew of running backs, Emmanuel Moody. Recruiting pop quiz. You say you delete all the information from prior, cla- prior <laughs> classes. Can you name the six five-stars in this class and the number one prospect in this class or signee in this class? Oh, the number one signee. I don't know. Um, it is a wide receiver. I will give you that hint. You got Stephon uh, Johnson. You got... C.J. Gable. Yeah, so so C.J. Gable, Stephon Johnson. Um, they had Emmanuel Moody in that class. Uh, they yes. had uh, Alan Bradford. They yes. had Sharice Wright. Um, they had Taylor Mays. Yes. Um, who was the receiver? That oh, was it Kyle Prater? It was no, not. no, no. That was later. No, that was another good class with the uh, with Dylan Baxter. Uh, I don't know. I, out, of, out of Virginia. Out of Virginia. Six foot three. Oh. Yeah, there it yeah, is. He's got it. Yeah, he, See, you remember yeah, stuff. Went, you remember stuff. Yeah, I'll, well, yeah. I don't need to give it to me on a platter. I mean, how <laughs> many guys have they recruited from Virginia? See, that's the that's the class they wanted Percy Harvin, and it was kind of a consolation prize to some extent. And everybody that was a Trojan fan was like, Ah, oh, Vidal Hazelton is going to be better anyways. He played at prep school, and he's going to be great. And you know, Vidal showed some flashes here and there, but he just yeah, he wasn't the guy. You know, he just wasn't wasn't explosive enough and uh yeah it just kind of never really happened for him but um that was a weird year that was uh yeah if i recall that was the reggie bush um taking uh percy harvin on an official visit and then bolting to go hang out with lloyd lake and michael michaels at the club and leaving percy at the team hotel and Tobing there calling Percy saying, Hey, what's up? Where, where you guys at right now? And Percy going, I'm at the team hotel and Tobing there flipping out, calling Reggie. And that's the night that he called Lloyd Lake because Reggie gave him that number. Reggie gave him a few different numbers. Reggie was big time. He was, you know, gonna win the Heisman trophy. So he had multiple phones, multiple numbers. If you can't reach me at this number, reach me at that number. And he called that number, which is the only time that Todd McNair ever even called Lloyd Lake's phone. Wow. Dana. What there's another a little, sidebar. A little piece of recruiting history here right at the end of this podcast. That's great. All because I wanted to play a little game of recruiting pop quiz, Gerard. I think you passed. I think you passed. <laughs> Which I failed. <laughs> Which, no, I failed. I failed. It was <laughs> Hazelton. I couldn't remember Bedell Hazelton. It just uh, didn't uh, pan out really for, for USC. But yeah, there was, I mean, there were some classes. Like when you talk about the potential of a USC class being stacked and what stacked really means. Yeah. You got to kind of look back at those classes in context. Cause what happens is we look back and we, we, you know, everything gets skewed, you know, that 2020 vision. And it's like, Oh yeah. You know, was it really as good? Because, you know, D- Dylan Baxter didn't do anything and this guy didn't do anything, but you have to kind of remember what it was like on signing day. You know, you had to remember what those guys were like in high school and, you know, Dylan Baxter scoring seven touchdowns and looking like he was playing flag football out there. Um, and all those running backs that they got, uh, it was it was nuts. I mean, they had like six running backs, seven running backs, and then they put Allen Bradford over to running back during fall camp. There was also talk they were going to even try to put Taylor Mays at running back. He played running back at Seattle Day High School. And so there was some talk like maybe he would play running back as well, and that never came to fruition. They just put Allen Bradford there which uh, was a bit surprising. I remember the rationale of that being on defense, he's going to give up touchdowns because he's just a little too undisciplined. But on offense, you know, if he screws up at most, 
he misses a block. And I, and I remember firing back and I won't say the coach it was, I go, yeah, and maybe that blocks your quarterback and he ends the season. So <laughs> I go, you know, that's not necessarily great either. Like giving up a touchdown is not great, but man, you know, giving up blocks on the blind side is not necessarily great either. Yeah, I count five running backs in this class, and I'm looking at like Kenny Ashley. What are you doing in this class? Go somewhere else. Kenny Ashley. Kenny Ashley. That was um, Kenny Ashley. Was Kenny Ashley? Yeah, he was a running back. They also had the other Ashley was from Minnesota, the deep step lineman. What was his name? Um, he's on there. He's on that class. I'm pretty sure he was a part of that class too. Walker that was like a Ashley? random out of nowhere. Walker Ashley. Yeah, that was uh, Dave Watson's recruit, which. Uh, I think he had his, I think his dad played in the league a little bit or something. So people were kind of excited about him. Never did anything. I mean, I can't even remember him in fall camp really doing a whole lot. Um, that's, you know, what happens. You know, you recruit nationally and you get out there and, you you know, you want to take some four-star guys because they're four-star guys sometimes. And um, you're going to miss on some dudes. So, uh, yeah, but there were yeah, definitely stacked recruiting classes back then and, uh you know, we're going to see if USC is going to be able to do that here in the near future. I think that's a good place to end as we transition into our final portion of the the podcast. The question, it's your turn to ask, but I think we could have sort of stumbled upon a fun new segment where we just, I just ask you about a random class that you've covered because you had a lot of good tidbits in there. Um, and I'm sure the fans would love uh, to hear your insights on a class many years removed from the cycle. So we'll have to uh, keep that in mind when we have a slower period of time when we're doing a podcast and maybe just, you know, throw on the 28-2008 class or the 20-2003 class, you know, something like that. What do you think? Yeah, you, ha- you have to reference it with, like, players, though, because 2008 doesn't mean anything. It's just like... <laughs> It could be Marquis Lee. It could be somebody else. I just like, you know, it, they're, they're just that, that much. I don't associate like, oh yeah, that was the 2005 class. And that was the 2003 class. It's more the players and then the players they played with and then the recruiting and then the package deals and all these little, you know, subplots that happened during that class, you know, and, and, you know, the attachments with the, those players and the, the guys they lost out on and the guys they get, it all sort of uh, comes back. You know, it's like, um, that movie what was that movie was it dream catcher or dream stalkers the one where dream catcher is a movie and it comes the aliens come down and they're in the little autistic boy and it, and it turns out at the end of the and i don't know spoilers here it was a it was a stephen king movie and uh it turns out that you know there's some like enemy uh alien civilization that's going to come down um, to the world and, and they, they're basically like body snatchers and they're people. And the guy has, he has this information that they learned as kids about how to defeat the aliens, but he's got to like keep it in his head. And, and the little autistic boy like shows him in his mind, how to lock away stuff. And so you see the visualization of inside his mind, how it's a staircase and there's all these different rooms with all these different books and it's like locked away and he's like locked himself in the room and the aliens trying to get into his mind to get into that room to get that information. It, it, I, I, I remember that being dream catchers or something it is, like that. It is Am dream I... catcher 2003. Okay. Are you saying I'm the alien and you are the small artistic boy with all this <laughs> knowledge locked away? Is that no, 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 no. <laughs> Who knows who the autistic boy is? He, 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 he's the peristyle. Oh, God. <laughs> the, the, I'm, I'm the guy with the information in there and I have to lock myself in the room sometimes from the peristyle. That's, that's the analogy. Okay. We, I, I'll 
borderline accept this analogy. Why don't you give me your question, which you forgot you were doing at the top of this podcast? But I hope you remembered it because you did come up one in the moment before we started recording. Did you? Do you remember it? Yeah, I I want to keep it to football. So okay, you, you can do whatever have, you want. So graciously doxed yourself by putting a former photo of you playing football. So we we can confirm that Chris Trevino is a veteran of the game. It yeah. uh, favorite football memory that was not a game. Favorite football memory that wasn't a game? You mean as in playing? Yeah, when you get out there, when you get out to the football fields and you know, you're watching guys play, and regardless of whether it's a game or seven on seven and what have you, is there anything like you just a fondness of like the time, the the place, something that comes to mind when you start thinking about playing football and when you played football and you enjoyed it and, and, and somehow sucked you in to doing this as a job? Interesting question. Interesting question. I only played for a little context, I only played for one season. It was sort of like a club youth team. It was like a 160-pound weight class. So I remember I was a bit overweight. I was like 165, so I had to lose some weight. So I had to run with the uh, the trash bag. I'm sure you had to do that. Oh, yes. The famous uh, tra- I've seen that many times. Yeah. Made us run with that. Um I remember, Which is wild because you're not a big guy. I'm not a big guy, but <laughs> you had to get under that weight limit to to play. Yep, yep. The Pop Warner, yeah. You get into classes to play for certain teams. Yeah, yeah. So I remember. This is, I remember. I I I'd always played like just pickup football when I went to Maryland games, tailgating and stuff. So me and my brother would just find people. Um, that were at the other kids at the games tailgating. We would t- throw the ball around. That was my only real, um, f- uh, you know, like uh, introduction to football or like playing any organized football. I would just, you know, run, catch the ball. I was always a really good receiver, but I'd never played organized football. And that was my first time. And I remember the coaches did not really know what to do with me. My first day of practice, they immediately made me a lineman. They were like, oh, wait, listen, listen, Chris, let me, let me break it to you. That is what happens to everybody that plays youth football, unless you're like a tall, skinny kid that is going to play quarterback. They basically, I think, and I'll interject on my own story. Pop Warner, I remember the first day it was, okay, running backs and receivers. That was how we, that's how we split up to work out. And everybody was like, oh, awesome. And then they made everybody linemen the next day. (laughs) 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 And we had linemen drills and everybody Everybody was aligned, and that was just how it was until they figured out who was fast, and then they broke you up like you know a month later. But yeah, everybody was aligned in Pop Warner. That's just how it how it, that's how they humble you. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I always thought it was interesting because I was put with these guys who were like so much bigger. They were like the big the big uglies, you know. They were the big guys, and I wasn't like that big. Um, I was like a you know like a wide receiver looking cornerback kind of dude but they made me a lineman so I spent the whole practice as a lineman didn't complain didn't do anything I just went I was a lineman that was it I was gonna be the best left tackle there was in the game and at the end of the practice they were just kind of like bullshitting around and they were like okay let's let's kind of do like a scrimmage thing so like the last 10 minutes was a scrimmage thing uh they put me in at cornerback they just threw me out there as a cornerback because we didn't really have pads on 
So it's not really going to have like any blocking or anything like that. So, okay, just make him a quarterback. They lined me up against the fastest guy on the team whose nickname was Spider-Man. So that was just it, – it's it looked bad for your boy, you know? It looked bad. Mm, the guy who's been yeah. practicing at offensive tackle the whole time put him against the fastest dude on the team. So, yeah, they set you up for failure. That, yep. that, they, were, they were trying to rationalize it. I'm sure there was some talk like, why are we putting him over here? He, he's, too, he's too slender to be playing offensive line. And the other coach who did it was like, well, because he's too slow. And then it was like, oh, man, come on, man. He's, he, he can't block nobody. And then that, and then it becomes, well, hey, I'm going to show you by putting the fastest guy in the team against him in space, and that's going to prove it. That's that's what happened there. That's absolutely what happened because play snapped, quarterback just loved to chuck that thing. Just He basically just ran a fly route, just straight down, streaked it, whatever. And I kind of stuck with him. He tried to get by me, didn't let him go. We went down there. It sort of converged as like the safeties were also coming up to help on that deep pass. And we all, I remember being like three people, Spider-Man, me, the safety, maybe another wide receiver who kind of was in trying to get this deep shot. And I picked it off. I out jumped everyone and I picked it off and we all come down on the pile and I got the ball. And I remember everyone sort of being sort of stunned that that happened. Like how, (laughs) how did that just happen? How did the tackle just get that? And then the next day of practice, I never worked with the offensive lineman again. I was like the new starting cornerback. And then they moved to linebacker. And then I got to play wide receiver. So that's kind of how it went. I became like the new shiny skill player toy. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my favorite moment of football. I don't know how that relates to me being, you know, coverage stuff. But I just like the opportunity of someone maybe, you know, football is a chance where you can kind of prove yourself. You know, maybe the guy who's maybe too small or not fast enough that can you know go out there and make a play you know something like that a lot of life lessons learned on that play i mean there was a lot of dynamics going on there people doubting you feeling like you were put into a position that you didn't fit but you didn't complain about it and you went through it and then people were basically rooting against you to fail giving you you know stacking the decks against you and putting you in a position that you know you didn't have a great chance of necessarily coming out on top and you did anyways and then it was like the rest of your time in football was more enjoyable because you were now at a position that you probably enjoy playing more and you felt you fit in more so yeah there was a ton of stuff going on there holy cow i feel like you should pay me now for being your psychologist yeah i but i also weirdly felt <laughs> confident in that moment lining up i was like okay yeah I lose, get man. I get to do something. To I, I, I cover these dudes all the time at Maryland games. Like, I know how to do this. I know how to catch. I know how to do all these things. But, like, no one, you know, gave me that opportunity. So I was like, I, I'm ready for this chance. I was so excited, but also, like, kind of scared at the same time. Like, uh, what, if the, what if they prove that I that I do belong with the, with the offensive lineman? And I always think about what if I hadn't made that catch or whatever, or maybe I just got smoked or just absolutely cut up. What would happen? You know, maybe I would just have played offensive tackle the entire time or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would have been one of those things that would have been tough. It would have been one of those things that played through your mind over and over again. Just like on the flip side, it still plays through your mind. It's just a positive. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, and you, that's the thing. It's like, uh, again, I mean, really, in that situation, you just say to yourself, you have nothing to lose, and you just let it go. You just play and just do it. And, you know, came out to, that you were able to intercept the pass and and Spider Man Spider Man never played on that team because the day you had to show up with your birth certificate he never showed up. 
Oh, jeez. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen that happen too. <laughs> the guys that uh, I think I was telling Jarrett a story about how we ended up playing uh, in Pop Warner a team of guys from Bakersfield. We are tying this in with our question from Bakersfield. Uh, some team, I want to say they were called like Early Mart. It was some weird town north of Bakersfield. It wasn't even Bakersfield. It was like north of Bakersfield. And these dudes showed up like straight up, orderly, mustaches. These dudes drove to the game and we were like, you know, kids. It was like Elks at that point. So I don't know what it was like, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old or something like that. And uh, it was the weirdest thing. It, it, some of these uh, little playoff games that we would play, you would see these teams and they would just, Blythe sometimes would show up with guys that looked like they were 16 years old. They were playing high school ball. It was always kind of a weird thing. So Spider-Man probably played on one of those teams, those people with, yeah. uh, you know, the, the birth certificates that are written in crayon. I right. I actually it brought back the analogy of the Benchwarmers uh, movie. I am twelve. Um, yeah, I am twelve. <laughs> That's exactly what Jarrett was was talking about. It made me laugh. I said, "Yeah, that was kind of basically how it was." You know, I think if you played youth football, most people probably have a story like that where they played in some exhibition or something against a team that was clearly had guys on it that were way bigger or older than they should have been. The first game I played. The defensive end on the outside, because I ended up being a tight end. So I was being a blocking tight end, receiving tight end. But the guy I played had a full-grown mustache and a forearm tattoo of like a cross. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> and this was like the you know, best Chris, team in the in our division, team called Gork. They were like the 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 program out there. So I was like, how did they who whose wheels did they grease to get this guy on here? Gork the Orc? Sounds like he's from yeah, that, uh, that's Lord a good, of the Rings. That's a good uh, chapter. Uh, yeah, straight out of Elden Ring. But you know, I mean, what we're hearing here, Chris, is that you know the the story was much more optimistic and much more positive when they put you at cornerback and you were starting cornerback, and then all of a sudden it changed a little bit when they moved you up to linebacker, and now we're hearing you were a receiver, but tight end. Sounds like they kind of reined you in a little bit there. You you got a little full of yourself. I'm Deion Sanders, and they said, ah, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe you're maybe you're a linebacker. Sounds like uh, you know, we kind of we kind of evened out a little bit. You know, the story kind of brought us back to uh, Earth a little here. Maybe a little bit, but also the offensive line <laughs> was terrible, and they could not block. So they needed someone who could help block. So the best case was me as a tight end blocking, while also on occasionally trying to get some passes. I would have gone back and, and the I tell you what, the trash bags would have always that would have always resonated in my mind going out in the football field watching like a football practice. I never did that, but <laughs> I remember kids doing that and I, that's like just one of those things that, you know, when I ever like I go out and it's like a really hot day in the IE, it just I bring flashbacks of like fall camp yeah. and hell week and just the the oppressive heat and just being out there and like I mean, I miss it. It's the weirdest thing is like, I miss it though, too. Like I, I miss having like the first week where you've got helmets and your neck is sore. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a weird sort of love hate thing. I remember doing it, <laughs> hating it, but then, you know, you don't do it anymore and you kind of miss it. Now, you know, when you talk to high school football players, you always sort of, when I, when I ask those questions and stuff, you know, at the end of the year, it's like, you know, what are you going to miss, man? Like, there's a lot of stuff. You're going on the college ball. I never got to play college ball. I'm certainly not division one level. So I can't, you know, relate to that sort of transition and moving on. And that's just a whole different thing though. You know, college ball 
compared to playing, you know, public high school football is like worlds apart, man. It's a, it's, it's like a third world country compared to a superpower. It's just all the amenities and everything that you have is just different. You know, high school football is definitely, uh, um, there's some, uh, some residual effect of some of the trauma that you go through <laughs> with all the stuff that they have you do. That's, uh, you know, quote unquote conditioning, you know? Yeah. And while I didn't play high school football, that was basically like the closest thing I got to playing high school football, but I definitely look back fondly on that one year that I played, you know, getting to be yelled at by some coaches. Also, my coaches were freaking hilarious and we were kind of a ragtag team. Like our first game, we didn't have our jerseys, so they just got green practice jerseys and we literally spray painted our numbers on it. That's wow. Yeah, it was real ragtag, but I love those guys. We were uh we didn't win a lot. We finally found our groove at the end of the season, but I don't know. That was I, I look back fondly. I, I learned a lot playing that one season of football. Well, there you go. We have gotten from football to personal stuff and we we're able to bring it together. And I don't know how, but this podcast ended up being longer than the first one. I tried to cut off early, but we're actually just went longer than this one. But as I mentioned at the top of this uh, podcast, they don't care how long you talk. They don't care how long uh, you go on as long as you're you're giving them the insight and you did that tenfold. Um, so that's going to wrap us up for the composite, the two-star recruits, whatever you want to call this podcast, that's going to wrap us up. Gerard, anything before we go? Nothing at all. Let's just end it here on a uh, kind of a, a, a uh, above average note. I, I don't know if I would say it was a high note, but um, I mean, hey, you know, B plus, that's, that's a good way to end it. The recruiting stories alone deserve an A. So I'm going to give it. Yeah, but we evened it out with the, with the, with the football with, with, personal with our stories. Stuff. Okay. Okay. No one's going to listen to this part. It's fine. It's fine. No one's going to listen to this part. Retro. <laughs> no one's going to listen. Yeah, looking back on uh, irrelevant football memories from the, the two stars which make up the two-star composite. There you go. It all, it, all, it, all, it all comes back. I got the question next week. I'm going to give you a good one. So I'll see you then, Gerard. Is it going to be next week? I don't know. We're going to have uh, – I mean, this past two weeks have been packed with uh, events and, and information just because of everybody we're talking to. I don't know. We're going to have a big weekend this weekend. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if there's relevant content to be discussed uh, next week. That's fair. Don't, don't, next time. You got it. You, you, yeah, yeah. Next time, yeah. You just don't want to put it out there because then the expectations are there, and you know the peristyle expectations are like uh, you know the kerosene, man. You just you just got to be careful with that. I got you. I got you. Next time, I'll have a good question for you. Again, I'm Chris. That is Gerard. Hit us up for some questions next time. That's it. See you next time.